Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. Hello, this is a prepaid call from Shenanigan Car. Mate at a Florida Department of Corrections institution. A judge just told 26 year old Amelia Carr her role in the murder of Heather Strong will cost her her life. My father was in Marion County Jail. And when he was in county jail, um, unbeknownst to us, he was trying to plot to have me, my mother, and my grandmother killed so that we wouldn't testify against him regarding the abuse. She says she wouldn't get the hell out of Dodge. Want me to keep kids, but when she gets it cleared up, she's coming home. Investigators found Strong buried in a shallow grave more than a month after she was reported missing. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. This is part two of my chat with Amelia Carr, the woman serving two life sentences for the kidnap and murder of Heather Strong, a crime she has always maintained she's innocent of. If you've not yet listened to part one, as always, now is the time to hit pause, head on back and catch up. So in the previous episode, we heard about Amelia's shocking upbringing, one that was full of abuse and trauma from an early age. She found herself growing up with an abusive father, and it seems nothing much would change as she became a young adult. Married at just 16, she would have three children and two failed marriages by the time she would meet the man who would eventually become her co-defendant, Joshua Fulgham. The case built against Amelia was focused on the fact that this was a love triangle between her, Heather and Josh. Detectives say Amelia's motive for wanting Heather gone was to have Josh all to herself. Amelia says that just wasn't the case. They wanted it to seem like it was some love triangle gone wrong, and it never was. And I've been trying to say that for the last decade and a half. It's never been like that. It wasn't some love triangle. I've never been the type to want to be with anybody because of uh, being in love. And, you know, we have kids together. I've always been independent. And I've always been a single mom. In fact, she cites the trauma and abuse from her childhood as making her quite the opposite. Someone who had no interest in any real emotional connections with men. She, in her own words, 
so she was quite promiscuous and would sleep around. Obviously, I am certainly no expert in this particular field, which is why I've enlisted the help of an expert and a friend of mine for many years. Istok Stanievich is a child protection practitioner and sessional academic with over 20 years of experience in the fields of acquired brain injury, child protection and youth justice. He's worked across the child protection continuum and taught forensic narrative interviewing to police and child protection officers, as well as teaching multiple courses in the Masters of Social Work program at the Queensland University of Technology and more recently the School of Psychology and Wellbeing at the University of Southern Queensland. So Istok and I sat down to discuss the research on child abuse and its effects on survivors in later life. Now, of course, so you've heard um, a bit of what Ema Amelia's been talking about. We're not going to specifically discuss her situation because there's a lot of information you need to be able to get a, a full scope of the abuse that she suffered. So we're talking more as a broader scope here. Now... People who suffer the kinds of abhorrent stuff that Amelia suffered as a, as a child. Now, Amelia has said that in later stages she became, in her own words, she uses the term promiscuous. Is that, has there been studies into that sort of behaviour from people who have suffered from those abuses as children? There have. Um, it's a pretty broad and complex topic to mm. address. Um, I suppose the the two things that I would draw your attention to or your listeners' attention to would be the concepts of like attachment and adverse childhood experience, Mm -hmm. both of which have quite a long history in terms of the research. Um, So the first concept being attachment, um, essentially it's the idea that the nature and quality of the relationship you have with your primary caregivers as a child um, has a significant impact on the way that you relate to others moving forward in life. So, for example, if you have a secure attachment where you've had attentive and responsible caregivers who have, you know, been nurturing and supportive and responsive to your needs, you grow up with a level of sort of security and confidence in the way that you interact with others. Mm. Um, Conversely, if you've had parents who have been really erratic in their approach to nurturing and caring for you, who've been um, available sometimes and then responded in very different ways at other times or who've been very, um, you know, sort of neglectful for lack of a better word, that can result in you having like an internal working model of relationships that's a lot more chaotic and disorganized. Mm -hmm. And we do know that from the research that your attachment style tends to persist throughout life. So it has long-term and profound impacts. But more to the point, I think, with someone who's experienced so many Uh, you know, scary and really traumatic things so early in life, the more relevant thing to consider is what's called the adverse childhood experiences Mm -hmm. um, or ACEs for short. And so essentially what ACEs are, are it's a short list of things that if they're present in your life before the age of 18, for each one of these things that's present, um, you get like one point. Yeah, right. And the higher your score is, for lack of a better term, um, the more strongly your chances would correlate with that um, in terms of you having a higher rate of virtually every negative health and life outcome conceivable. And so what the research originally was, was um, in the late 70s, I believe, the Kaiser Permanente um, Private Health Service in the US started doing an exploration into what are some of the key determinants of poor health. So like what is it that causes people to have heart failure, to have suicide and depression, to have alcoholism, kidney failure, the list goes on and on. Mm. And 
after an extensive body of research, the largest of its kind ever done with over 17,000 participants, what they found was that um, these adverse childhood experiences are arguably the biggest predictor. And so, for example, someone with an ACE score of four or higher will have up to four or five times greater likelihood of virtually every conceivable negative outcome, um, including, you know, suicide, depression, alcoholism, being a perpetrator of domestic and family violence, being the victim of domestic and family violence. Um, You know, early childhood um, traumas relate to uh, increased risk of juvenile pregnancy, um, smoking, um, alcohol use, and so on and so forth. Actually, every bad possible thing absolutely you're more at risk of because of what you suffered as a kid absolutely yeah in short the thing that's really important to note with all of this though is that correlation is not causation so what i mean is that there could also be additional factors that are present um when someone's experiencing all of these ace studies that predisposes them to having these poor outcomes as well and there are plenty of people who have had you know equivalently really significant trauma backgrounds who go on to not experience a lot of these things later in life as well. Um, But what we do know is that the probability is higher for those people. So as someone who's completely uneducated in this this field and just as an outsider, to hear about the abuse that Amelia suffered as a child, you know, sexually sexually abused by her father from the age of four till she was 15, to hear her then say that as she became, as she got older, she was essentially, again, as she says, promiscuous. She slept around a lot. As someone uneducated in in that side of things, I, I would think that someone suffering that sort of abuse of a sexual nature would would almost be completely the opposite and completely turned away from anything like that and not want to have that sort of connection with a, the male after such a an awful introduction to it as a youngster. I find it amazing that actually it's the other way around. What's the reasoning behind? Well, it's very different for different people. So some people might have a strong aversion to engaging in any sort of intimacy or or connection with other people, whereas for other people in terms of the formulation of their sexual identity as they go through their adolescence and into puberty, it can become impacted to the point where they might, for example, conflate or have difficulty separating the concept of intimacy and affection and care and love. People can engage in high-risk sexual behaviours for a number of reasons. And I think when reflecting on people who have experienced sexual abuse particularly, it's important that we don't sort of stigmatise them one way or the other. And ultimately what, what we're looking at is someone who throughout her life and throughout her developmental experiences has had pretty much a thwarted need for connection. Mm. Um, And, you know, humans are inherently social animals. Um, There's a reason why solitary confinement is arguably the worst thing that you can do to us. Yeah. And um, I think that there's all sorts of creative adjustments that we make psychologically to enable us to fill that need for, for connection. So as we know from many people in Heather's life... The relationship between her and Josh was extremely volatile. He would see her leaving him on multiple occasions and heading back to Mississippi, only to get a phone call from him saying that he would never do it again and she would ultimately go back to him. In fact, people say as the years went on, the violence would only increase. Amelia tells me that her and Heather were quite close and would catch up on a regular basis. So I wanted to know if they'd ever privately discuss the abuse that she would receive from Josh. Did ever confide in you about his, um, you know, him being violent towards her? Because I know that, you know, he, 
he, he this guy did have a temper and he was known for being aggressive um did she ever come and see you about that me and her had spoken about it but um her situation was that she did not have anywhere to go and she did not know how to stand on her feet her family was in mississippi and when she would even consider trying to leave she would say that he would go get her and bring her back and so she just felt stuck because here she had to rely on his family and so she was just torn she didn't know what to do where to go but she wasn't happy in February of 2009, Heather Strong would go missing. Just eight days after the release of her then-husband, Joshua Fulgham, who was being held in jail for holding a shotgun to her head during an argument. Hello? Hey, please don't hang up. I'm not. I don't want to do this. Josh, because I can't, you promised me, you promised me I can't live like this. You know, this this guy had already been in, in jail for um, threatening uh, Heather with a with a gun. He was now out. Um, did you see him while he was out in between um, being let out of um, jail for, for the gun incident? Um I can't keep track because she filed so many injunctions between the month of December and February. Um, I know that he would show up from time to time, but I was living at my mom's. And at that point, I really didn't have much to do with him because I was pretty far along, getting far along in my pregnancy with my youngest daughter. Yeah, So I was just trying to live at home with my mom and get myself on my feet. Heather was originally reported missing on February 15. We're currently looking into uh, the disappearance of your daughter. Yes. Okay, have you heard from her? No, I haven't. When was the last time you heard from her? Um, somewhere about the 10th, 11th, or 12th of February. Is this unusual for... Yes, it is. And Heather's birthday is Monday. And um, if she, if she doesn't call me Monday, I know something's wrong. Right, right, yes, ma'am. Around a month later is when the investigation really started to ramp up. Detectives had gone to Heather's workplace, an iron skillet restaurant at a metro gas station next to Interstate Route 75. While there, talking with Heather's workmates, they were told that on the day of Heather's disappearance, while at work, Heather had received a phone call from Josh. No one's quite sure what was said, but Heather was visibly shaken and upset by the call. Detectives were quick to pull Josh in for questioning. Tell about the last time you saw him. And it was the 15th of last month. She called the house. And we just went to talking about she was having a problem. She said she wanted to get the hell out of Dodge. Wanted me to keep the kids, but when she gets it cleared up, she's coming home. Josh's claims that Heather had left the children with him and gone back to Mississippi for a while was an instant red flag to everyone who knew her. They all said there was just no way she would ever leave the children, especially not with him. However, Josh was sticking to his story. I don't think she's missing. I know she's right there in the state of Mississippi. There's probably four houses. I go to one of them and figure out why you ain't done it yet. Why? Because I'm done with her, man. Josh even goes as far as to tell detectives that he, in fact, dropped Heather off with a couple of bags. And this was the last time that he saw her. Where was she hanging out at? There was a brick wall along down there. She was standing right over there. And she had a red suitcase. It's pulled out. It's got wheels on it. Set on a pair of jeans and a gray t-shirt. 
I think it was uh, Old Navy because it had a flag or something on it. I think it was Old Navy. And then you got back in your car? And I went back to the house. And when you left, she was? Right there at Petro. Standing up there at Petro. You know there's video at Petro, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They got cameras all around it. Ain't no video. Of what? Of, her, of Heather. At that Petro. On that date. All day. All night. It wouldn't be long after Josh is brought in for questioning that detectives learn about his on-again, off-again relationship with Amelia Carr. And they turn up at her house, asking her to come in to talk with them. Where, when did you first um, hear that she'd gone missing? Uh, through the detectives. Okay. So they, they contacted, did they come around to your house or they called you? What, what happened there? They showed up at my mom's house the very first time and asked if they could take me to the police station. Didn't ask my mom to take me up there to meet them or anything that they wanted a question they just showed up and took me in the back of their car asked me if i would come with them for questioning and i'm like okay i don't know what's going on they said that they wanted to talk about heather and so i don't have anything to hide so i'm like okay you know little do i realize that i'm stuck once i get there Hey. Hey. Tired? Exhausted. Not my bedtime. I'm going to try to make this quick as possible, okay? I appreciate you coming up here. <laughs> you look tired, too. Very tired. <laughs> appreciate you coming up here. How far along are you? I'm eight months. So you're eight months? Yeah. Okay. Try to get some things together. We try to sort out some, some differences and get a clear understanding. So we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, Amelia, during her interrogations, was eight months pregnant pregnant with a child that detectives in the media would claim is Josh Fulgems, but not according to Amelia Carr. This is crazy. This is crazy as hell right here. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yes, it is that time again. Time for me to say a big thank you to you for listening to this show. Each and every week, the support that this show gets is just phenomenal. And I couldn't be more grateful for your support. Don't forget, we have the private Facebook group open to you right now where you can join other listeners of One Minute Remaining to discuss the cases that we talk about within the show. And if you have a question for me or one of the inmates, you pop it in there and we will answer it in an upcoming episode. Okay, time for a quick recap. Josh and Heather have been together for many years. In fact, since Heather was just a teenager. Recently moving to Florida to be closer to Josh's family, the relationship has become increasingly volatile. While living back in Florida, Josh meets Amelia Carr in the front yard of one of her children's father's homes. They strike up a conversation and then would see each other around town. During one of Josh and Heather's breakups, Amelia and Josh would sleep together and Amelia says this would happen from time to time on a casual basis. Eventually though, Josh and Heather would reconnect and in fact get married. Not long after that marriage though, Josh would be arrested and jailed for pointing a shotgun at Heather during a violent outburst. The charges, however, are dropped against Josh, and eight days after his release, Heather goes missing. Josh is quickly brought in for questioning by police after investigations at Heather's workplace revealed that Heather had received a call from Josh that made her visibly upset on the day that she would disappear. She'd made her plans to leave Josh and take the kids well known to her work colleagues who didn't believe for a second when Josh had said she'd up and left without her children. Not long after Josh is brought in, Amelia is also brought in by detectives to questioning. She's eight months pregnant and visibly tired in the interview room. We discuss the lengthy process that she would go through. And I I mean, I've seen footage of um, your interrogation and you were eight months pregnant at the, t- at the time when you, they were questioning you and it seemed that they, you know, they'd left you in this room for a very long time. I mean, it out in the very first interview with Detective Bowie walking in and telling me, you want to see that baby born, don't you? Yeah. So I, the whole thing started with a threat. Well, I'm hoping you guys find her, I mean... Well, we, we're going to find her. Find her with your help. I mean, it'd be... With your help, we're going to find yeah. her, Okay. I need you to understand that. I need your help. And I'm here to help. I mean, we've got kids who need both parents. If you know something, this is the time. This is our opportunity. Because you want to see that baby being born. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Do you think they thought you had something to do with her disappearance from the very start? I honestly don't know. I don't know their tactics. 
but I know that I was immediately in a state of fear. I mean, you're threatening my unborn child. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's obviously for a mother who's yeah. pregnant, that's obviously the most stressful thing you can, can hear. Yeah. So that's the very first thing that I'm told by a detective. I mean, that's, that's a bit much. And then when you're pregnant, you're already in a very altered state emotionally and mentally, and your body is under its own amount of stress. From what I've watched, you were in that room for quite some time without, you know, doing anything. They kind of just left you in there to sit. And I'm assuming that's one of their techniques is to put you under stress and under strain um, before they question you. Correct. What were you thinking at, at that time while you were in that room by yourself? Well, because I really didn't know what was going on at first. I didn't know what to think. And then when he said what he said, I was instantly terrified. You have to remember, I was in foster care. I've been caught up in the system. I have three children and I'm pregnant with a fourth one. I'm terrified for my kids. And so at this point, I'm like, what's going on? Why is this guy threatening me? And so I instantly, like, you know, when you're pregnant, you get very protective. You're threatening my unborn child. And for what? So I, I get scared. And then on top of everything, this is a man. And, you know, I have, in my childhood, I had issues with men. So it's just, it was not a good state of mind. On top of being pregnant, the hormones, it's not good. I've actually started doing some studies on <laughs> on that whole situation because you don't know what it's like to sit there and you're terrified for your unborn child. You have these people threatening you, telling you that you're not going to see your child. And then no matter what you say, it's not right. They badger you. They just leave you there. You can't leave. Even though they tell you you're free to go, they picked you up and they brought you there. So you're not free to go. Mm-hmm. You're not. Because how are you supposed to walk out with there's how where are you supposed to do just walk out at 11 o'clock at night or one o'clock in the morning and walk home when you're 30 miles from home and in the pitch black i mean i don't understand so even though they tell you you're not under arrest i still can't leave i'm at your mercy and so they keep you there as long as they want you until they feel like they're done at that moment in time so it's it's just it's a horrible mind I mean, like, it's just, it's torture on your mind. It's torture on your emotions. And once you, when you're that far along pregnant and you're in a heightened state like that, your stomach gets rock hard. So then, like, I'm not able to feel the baby move. I'm not able to really eat or drink anything. My stomach is like a solid rock. And I just, I'm in an altered state now because now I'm in a state of fear. I don't know what's going to happen. I've got this guy coming in. He's very rude. He's very disrespectful. He's trying to intimidate, and you can feel the aura of just, you're going to do this or you're going to do that coming off of him. I mean, it's not a good state for a woman to be in, let alone a pregnant woman. And, I mean, I don't understand how it's okay. So Amelia and Josh were at the police station at the same time, being interviewed simultaneously. Eventually, detectives would start to play one off against the other. Before that, they caught Josh in his first lie. What Josh didn't know was that detectives had CCTV footage of him using Heather's bank card during the time she was missing. Well, she can use a payroll card anywhere, right? Yeah, it's, like it's got a Visa logo on there. So she can use it Georgia, Mississippi? Yeah, she can use it anywhere she went. She okay. can use anywhere. So she why went. does she take that with her? I can understand her leaving the Because, see, she gets paid every two weeks. And what she told me was to take that, just give me half. 
you keep that lab, there'll be 70 bucks on there. Yeah. But so you told me you used it and nothing was on Yeah, I'd want to. And it wouldn't let me. So you never got any, any, any I'd product I'd try it again, I'm sure. I know for a fact <laughs> that you used your card. Okay? You used a credit card and you got money off of it. Which one? Okay? Her work card. You got money off of it. I can't get no money off of Yes, you did. I'm trying to think. Got you on video. Where at, From though? an ATM machine. Getting money off that card. Where at, though? Don't oh, worry about where at. You know if you did or not. No, I'm trying to... You know if you did or not, Josh. Pot. I don't want to hear that pot bullshit. All right? That's bullshit. No, it's really, it's not. I'm yes, trying it to is. remember. You don't, you don't lie to me. Okay? No, I... You don't lie to me. Oh, my God. And that ain't good, Josh. That ain't good. Because I asked you specifically several times about that car. Yes, sir. But you know what? I did get money out of that car. You're right. You're right. As a married couple, there could be a number of perfectly reasonable explanations as to why Josh should use that card. As a married man myself, my wife and I are always using each other's cards for one reason or another. So, the question to the detectives becomes this. If he's willing to lie about something seemingly so innocent, what else? Could he be trying to hide? Josh continues to claim to the detectives that Heather has simply up and left and given him custody of their children. In fact, he even happens to have a letter from Heather claiming that she wants Josh to have full custody over the children while she's gone. Detectives instantly spot something suspicious about this so-called letter. Why? She didn't handwrite a letter. I don't know, man. I was like, why does she look better exactly. typed out? Why does she handwrite a letter? Don't it look better typed out? Huh? Don't it look better when something's typed out instead of handwritten? No, actually looks better when it's handwritten. If it's coming from a oh, parent that right. says, I'm giving my child to Josh. I'm holding ass out of town. I want him to have full custody of this child. Well, I wish the hell I'd have had her done that then. I honestly do. I wish the hell that's what I'd have had her done. Who signed her name on that? She didn't. Your mama signed her name? No. Heather signed her name? You signed her name? No. Heather signed her name? Your sister signed her name? No. Because you know we got handwriting analysis, right? Yeah. Okay, did you threaten her to sign her name? Man, come on now. This shit's not going too far. Huh? This is... No, I did not. You wanted them kids. You didn't want her to have No, I'm going to be honest with you, man. You didn't I'm want having her to... No, no, you no, didn't no, want no, her... No, no, she no, was no, sitting no, up there no, telling no. you. She was telling you. She was going... She... You won't never see them kids. No, she again. was not. Mm-hmm. She... No. No, she wasn't. So, Amelia is eight months pregnant with a child the first time she's brought in for questioning. A baby that detectives and the media have said is Josh's unborn child. Something that Amelia says is just not true. Um, I was pregnant with Nevaeh at the time. The baby in question that everybody tried to say is my co-defendant. Oh, so it's not his? No, actually, um... Okay, so... When I tell you, there's so much more. They, the story was made out to seem like I was pregnant with this child, and I'm sorry, it just got real loud. There's someone next to me on the phone yelling. <laughs> but right. um, when we um, went to court, you know, I was pregnant when I was arrested. Yeah. Well, we went to family court, and I was married to Jamie Carr at the time, and um, we went to family court, and he was afforded the opportunity to do a DNA test. 
And Joshua Fulge himself flat out, he said, that's not my kid, we weren't together, I want nothing to do with her. And the judge um, told him, she said, you only have one opportunity, and he said, it's not my kid. And so Mr. Carr took the stand and he said, that's my daughter, I don't need a DNA test, I know that's my child. And so, you know, in court, we resolved it right then and there. And so, in on her birth certificate, paperwork, everything, you know. So I don't know where, when I went to trial, I kept telling my attorney, I said, Ms. Hawthorne, we've already gone to family court. Can you please tell the jury that this is not his kid? And she said, it's implied. I said, how is it implied when the whole theory of my conviction is based on the fact that supposedly I was pregnant with his child and wanted to be with him? I told her, I said, I have four kids by at least three different men. Where on God's green earth does it look like I would want to be with any one of them? And so she just, she would not present it. She would not introduce it. And I kept asking her, I said, everything that is that you guys are sentencing me on is because you believe that I was pregnant with this kid and I wanted to be with him. And I said, I'm not that type of person. I've always been a single mom and I did not want to be with him. And here in our family court documents, it states that she's not his. She has a father. And it was never presented. You have one minute remaining. And that wraps us up for this episode. But coming up in our next episode, the interrogations with Josh and Amelia continue, with Amelia being allowed to go home as the police simply have no evidence in which to detain her. However, in the process of placing Josh Fulgham under arrest for the unlawful use of Heather's bank card, Josh would drop a bombshell. You let me take that by my mama if I take you to. You take me to where Heather is, I'll take your wallet to your mama. You won't take me by and let me talk to mom. You take me to Heather first. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network.